0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, church family. How good is our God? How good is our God? I love the way the psalmist in Psalm 84 puts it, verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Speaking of the Lord, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor, and here it is, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless? How good is our God? don't you love that picture? No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is, is blameless. For those of us who know him and, and walk with him, his goodness, it's a waterfall of grace, isn't it? And I love the place we left, left off last week in Hebrews chapter four. All week, it's just been feeding my soul. When God describes his throne, what, what, what's the title that, that he puts on it? When he wants us to, to understand his throne, it could be the, the throne of power, the throne of justice, the throne of, of all these things, and it would be accurate, but how does he want us to see his throne in heaven? Do you remember? It's awesome. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, says this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time time of need. When God wants us to to see his throne or um, approach him, it's to see his throne as a throne of grace, grace being undeserved favor. Isn't that great? It just draws us to him. I was thinking, or the, I love the picture Pastor Tyson left us last week, or talk, where uh, he, he had been done something wrong. And didn't that make you feel good to hear? Even Tyson messed up as a kid. Kids, there's hope. And uh, he, he, his mom said, "Wait until Dad gets home." And all day he was living under that impending cloud of impending judgment and discipline that he deserved. And I think we are all probably like, "Yep, been there." I was flashing back to the moments in the grocery store where I would you know, be disobeying my mom, and she would, with fire in her eyes and smoke coming out her ears, put a black mark on my hand, and it was to represent, when you get home, this is, you're going to get punished, or uh, disciplined, with love, but disciplined, firmly. (laughs) And I remember just that horrible feeling the rest of the time in the grocery store, and then on the drive home, just thinking, ah, this is living under that cloud of impending judgment. I remember looking at it and thinking, if I rub it off, Will she forget? Like, well, that erased my punishment and it never worked. The enemy of our soul wants us living as as Christ followers under the cloud of judgment or condemnation. He wants us to forget the good news that, that we have a God and we have a Savior who came to earth for one purpose, took on humanity, wrapped himself in our humanity, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserve on the cross received the punishment that should have been ours. All of it. And he says, whoever trusts in me, believes in me, there is no condemnation for you. Now. Like, like, not some Like, now, today, if you are trusting Christ, no condemnation. And here's how I want you to live with me, my children. I want you to run to me, not away from me when you fail trusting the provision of Christ. Amen? He says, run to this throne of grace. To do what? And remember what it said? To find just the grace we need, the mercy we need in our time of need. And God is so faithful, isn't he? No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And you think about your life and just reflect, even this morning, it's a waterfall of grace, isn't it? His goodness just continues to pour through Christ. And so last week, we're going to pick it up this week where we left off last week. We're, we're into Hebrews chapter 5. And what the writer is doing is explaining that Jesus is our high priest and how he is that. And so for us, as, as most of us Gentiles, we don't really have a, a frame of reference for this. But for these believers, they, uh, they, they were still, or they, the, the law of Moses was still in play for those in that lived in Jerusalem, and he's writing to these Hebrew Christians, explaining to them, okay, this is why Jesus is the high pri- our high priest and greater than the high priest that's currently in the temple. And we'll pick it up in uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Hebrews 5, verse 7. Now, he's going to talk about Jesus being our high priest for a few moments here, but then he is going to take a hard left. And so I just want to give you a heads up. You might want to fasten your seatbelts here. He's going to take us into some terrain that is, it's like, you know, off-road terrain theologically. And as we get into this scripture, but so helpful as we seek to draw near to the Lord and, and walk with him. So we'll pick it up. Verse seven, he says this, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud, with fervent, cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Side note here, isn't it interesting, as Jesus was on earth, we we, here we we get a window into his, the passion with which he prayed. We we know we're called to live a praying life and to talk to the Father, and even Jesus, with full trust, prayed emotionally, prayed passionately as he saw what was going on around him and, and was asking God, his Father, for help but, but to, uh, to follow him. And then verse 8, it says, Son, though he was fully God, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Powerful picture of our Lord. He learned obedience from what he suffered so he developed in obedience through suffering so important for those of us as Christ followers when we begin to follow him suffering is a part of it right and throughout scripture we're taught God is at work in our suffering suffering is a result of the fall and yet God can use what what was meant to harm us to actually grow us and here we see in Jesus's life, he was learning obedience through his suffering, praying, not my will, but your will be done, walking by faith with his father through the suffering and once made perfect. And we look at that and say, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was fully God, so how could he be imperfect? And this is where you might write out to the side of your, your Bible, it's the word telion, mature or complete. It isn't that Jesus was imperfect, sinful and became sinless, it's that he was in his humanity and in his preparation to do, take out our sin to the cross, he was not fully ready for that. So it's the picture of a child growing up into maturity. So he went from incomplete to fully complete through what he suffered, and then once he was ready for the cross, he accomplished our eternal salvation for everyone who obeys him. Now you may read that and say, wait a minute, obey? I thought that we were saved by faith. This seems to say that I'm saved by my works or by what I do. And the reality is, as we look at the whole of Scripture, we are saved, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, saved by grace through faith. Whoever believes in Him. But it's a faith that will obey Him. Does that make sense? Saving faith is a faith that works. That's the message of James in James 2. A saving faith is a faith that doesn't just receive the benefits of Christ, but sees him for who he is, the King of kings, Lord of lords, and will with all our hearts seek to follow him, live surrendered to him. Not perfectly, and we confess our sin, but the heart desire is that we would follow him. And so he's speaking into that here. All right, here comes the left turn. Get ready. Fasten the seatbelts. He says, and he was designated by God to be a high priest. A high priest was someone who God chose in the order of, of Melchizedek now when I just said Melchizedek did that just fill your soul with hope and with joy like yes anybody just get lit up to just just hit pause and sing a praise song anybody no we're like Mel who (laughs) Melchizedek that's okay that we didn't know who Melchizedek was what's not okay is what he's about to say here Verse 11, it's like he just calls time out on Melchizedek and says, we have much more to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Right here we see the big idea of our text emerging, which is this, stay hungry to learn and live out God's word. Here he's saying, I wish I could go on and share with you more about Melchizedek and the the reality that Jesus was chosen in the order of Melchizedek, but I can't share this truth with you because you're not listening anymore. It's like you're tuning me out. It's literally, you become dull of hearing. You're you're shutting down. You're not ready to absorb the truth that I'm giving you. This is the same concern that that we see later in this text, and it it actually bookends our text for today in chapter 6, verse 12, where he says, we do not want you to become lazy. Lazy is the same word, dull of hearing, but but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And so the big idea, the challenge for us today, if we remember one thing, is this. Stay hungry to learn and then live out God's Word. Okay, now we're like, if we're the writers, or we're the readers of this, and today as we receive this as God's word, all right, we're hungry, and everybody hungry to hear what he has to say about Melchizedek? We push out our plate and say, put it on there, let's go, to which the writer says, not yet, not yet, and he gives us three motivations to stay hungry in the, the text that follows. The first is a hard conversation, as he goes on in verse 12, he says, in fact, Though by, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, and the mature there is the word telion, those who have grown up, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. Outside, you might write in your Bible by train, sweat, 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 sweat. Constant use, ingesting this solid truth, this meat. We've trained ourselves to distinguish between good and evil. The first motivation that he gives us here is, in essence, he's lifting up the mirror in front of these these, uh, Christ followers and saying the hard truth. You guys need to grow up. Scholars feel that many of these christians were were second generation Christians. they grew up in Christian homes, and he 's like, "You should be teachers now, and yet you're, you're still you 're stuck in spiritual infancy, really because you 're lazy you've quit trying to learn you, you're, when, when it gets hard when, when you get some truth that it 's tough to to process." You're pushing it away and you're just saying, bring me the milk. Guys, it's time to grow up. And, and it's a, a hard conversation, but what a gift of grace God gives us here. As we read this, you have to ask the question, what is it that's keeping them from, from pushing on and, and uh, moving past spiritual infancy and, and receiving this the meat truths of God's word? It may be the, th- the same thing, I, I'm guessing we all experienced when we took algebra in our freshman year in high school or whenever you guys are taking that these days, where I remember, freshman, when I saw A plus, you know, Y equals Z, like, what good is this going to do me for my life mission right now, which is pretty much have fun, get a girlfriend, have fun in sports, and, you know, get a job someday. How's this going to work out in my... What per, You say Melchizedek, what good is that going to do? Little did I know as a freshman in high school, algebra wasn't the point, right? The point was learning how to think, learning how to lay down a mental map in my mind that I would take making decision after decision in the realm of logic. And I am so thankful that I had an algebra teacher who loved me enough to pull me out into the the hall one day. And Rosemary, Mrs. Helton, stood about five foot nothing, but she was a force of nature. And she pulled me out in the hall. I was getting below average grades, and she got in my face, and she said, you are lazy. And it's time to grow up, young man, and apply yourself and uh, change the trajectory of my algebra and and, uh, academic world. But what a gift God has given us here. We've got to grow up. And aren't you thankful he doesn't leave us in the hallway? Mrs. Helton didn't leave me there. She said, come on back into the classroom, and so does our Lord here in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken on to maturity. The word maturity there is telion. We, We can be mature and complete in Christ. Not laying again a foundation, and he lists six truths that are foundational Three clusters, they they form three clusters. One's around salvation, of repentance, and of acts that lead to death, and faith in God. This is where we think we can save ourselves, but we realize, no, it's only through faith, Um, core truth. The second one here is the uh, instructions about cleansing rites, baptism, and the laying on of hands, which they would often do around the baptism ceremony or commissioning people for things. And then the resurrection of the dead. And eternal judgment. So our future, and that we will, those in Christ will rise to life, those not to eternal judgment. And he says, God permitting, we will do so. We will, we will move on. Isn't this good? Or God just says, Hey, here's, here's where we are. We need to keep growing, grow up to maturity. Maturity is possible. And this is how it's going to happen. It says you ingest the Word of God. Continue, stay hungry to learn, and then live out the Word of God. Quick observation here. The elementary teachings of Christ that he references are really important. But they're important in that they form the foundation of the house. And this summer I had the opportunity to uh, be a part of, help Larry Mahan one day as he laid the foundation of his own house. And he laid it with precision, and man, it was just, um, but it was this concrete in the ground if Larry had stopped at the foundation, what kind of condition would he be in this morning? Man, he'd be probably a mess, horrible night of sleep. Shit, it'd be a cold winter if he didn't keep going, right? Put up the walls, put up the roof, the windows, the doors. That's what he's saying here. The, the foundation's crucial, and we, we need to check it for cracks at times, making sure the foundation is strong. But as we follow Christ, we've got to carry on with the, the doors, the walls, the windows, and continue to add to what will help us um, become mature. And notice the goal isn't just to learn for ourselves. When he says, by now you should be teachers. The goal isn't just that we would learn this truth for our own benefit, but that we would teach others. How many of us are called to be a teacher as we follow Christ? All of us, right? Great commission. Go make disciples, baptize them, and what? Teaching them. Some are gifted to teach, Ephesians 4, to 16, to train the rest of us to be good teachers. Every one of us should be able to teach somebody what it looks like to follow Christ into a life of love, loving God, loving others, and living out our, our life mission. One day this past summer, I was out on the putting green practicing the, the putting stroke, and I was the only one there, and up from behind me walks a 20-something-year-old guy and asks a question I have never heard asked on a golf course and would have, a putting green and would never have expected from this guy. It was the craziest thing blew me away. walks right up to me, putting away, walks right into my social space, or eye to eye and he says this, "Would you teach me to putt?" Me? <laughs> you got the wrong putter. Have you seen what I've been doing? You know, like ask my brother or Kevin. No, I don't, I don't know how to. That's why I'm practicing here. He wanted to know, so I rallied up the best little lecture I could. It, it lasted about three minutes and told him everything I knew about putting. And then just ended it with practice, practice, practice. But as I reflected on that, I thought, you know what? How long have I been putting? I've been putting for 40-plus years. If anyone should know how to teach somebody to putt, it should be me. So when someone walks up to you and says, hey, would you teach me how to follow Jesus? If I've been walking with them for... I should know, right? I I should be ready. And what if we started doing that? Would you teach me how to follow Jesus in the realm of dating? You know, right now we've got a panel back in our youth, youth room where they're asking questions about relationships and students sharing that. I, I met with Megan Elliot yesterday, a, a young mom, three kids. She's uh, joining our church family. And I was asking her about how she's connecting in the church. And she said, I've just started a mentoring relationship with Patty Lane, a, a mom who raised two great sons who are going hard after Christ. And I thought, what a powerful picture of a, of a Jesus follower coming up to another one saying, would you teach me how to be a Follow Jesus in the realm of being a mom. And what a gift to have Patty Lane just teaming with her and and saying, this is how you do it. That's the goal, right? I mean, that's the end game that we would reproduce. What's the goal of maturity? It's reproduction. A mature adult produces kids. A mature Jesus follower produces disciples. How? Teach, 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 right? So if we're not building the walls and if we're not, staying hungry to learn and then live it out, we're not going to be ready to do what God's called us to do. I, I um, Notice there also where he says, by, who by constant use have trained themselves. How do we avoid the pitfalls in this life? And the, that's the landmines that the enemy of our soul will lay for us, the uh, despair and all the things that, that come with living life down here, I view, if you watch the movie The Matrix, there's a matrix that the enemy sets up, which are the lies, that are props, they're not real, it's not reality, but but we believe them, right? Lies about who God is, who we are, and what's around us. How do we see the matrix? You notice what he said? Those who have trained themselves by constant use so that they can discern good and evil. And as we stay hungry to learn God's word, live it out, the matrix melts, and pretty soon, that thing that was a temptation, it's not as big of a temptation because the matrix is gone. You can see it. That's a flat-out lie. <laughs> You'd be happier if you were that, that person, rather than being faithful to your wife. Such a, a lie, right? But how? It's as we ingest his word. A couple weeks ago, a group of our elders were headed up to Minneapolis for a training time, and we were, it was Super Bowl Sunday. We were watching the game in the... the Vehicles, we were headed up there. But as we were talking, uh, Eric Lyon was like, man, during your message today, I kept wanting to get up and quote Romans 8. We're like, you know Romans 8 by heart? And he goes, yeah. I memorized it on accident. He's staying hungry, and he was listening to it on his way to work. Four times there, four times back. Accidentally memorized it. And we're like, well, do you still know it? And he goes, oh yeah. And he quoted the whole thing as we're driving up to Minneapolis. Lit us up, and I know it lit me up to keep snacking on Romans 8 as I've been uh, doing life. And so I was like, Eric, would you be willing to come up here and just light our fire? And so, you guys want to hear this? We, we have to cut it short, and this is going to hurt Eric. But verse 4, can we cut it off right there? <laughs> there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus That awesome, <laughs> that is awesome, thank you, Eric. And but as you watch Eric live, he's living a life of love, choosing good. How hungry! So, recently, I was working out at the DAC and talking with Bryce Clendenning. And Bryce comes up and says, Hey man, I've been soundtracking Romans 8, same one, through this group, Emmanuel Worship, out of Nashville. And what they do on this album is they Romans 8, and then they sing a song that goes along with it. And I think we have it. Nope. All right, well, Emmanuel Worship, you guys can check it out on your own. There we go. If you want to look at that. But What was neat, when I asked Bryce and Lydia, as you come into our church family, how can we serve you as, as a church? Guess what they said? Wrong question. How can we serve the church? And it just stuck, and I'm like... How does a guy live like that, with that kind of love, and Lydia as well? Staying hungry, right? It's what helps us choose what's good, avoid what's evil. And so, staying hungry, staying hungry. So, is everyone ready to, like, are we hungry? And and I have a, I know, like, okay, preach, we'll call the writer preacher. Preacher, go ahead and and give us what you're going to give us on Melchizedek. You guys good with that? Let's hear about Melchizedek. But as we look back to the text, he's like, nope, I have another motivation, to stay hungry, and he, it's, a, it's really a wake-up warning in verses 4 to 6 where he says, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age. So it, it appears what he's describing here is a new believer, someone coming into faith in Jesus Christ. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's impossible for this one, for those, and notice, you might circle those. He changes pronouns. He's been talking to them, these these believers. Now he's talking, seems to be talking about a different group. It's impossible for them who have fallen away. Now, does this mean fallen away, completely lose our salvation? Or does this mean we're out of fellowship with God? That's one of the questions around this text. But it's impossible for those who have fallen away to be brought back to, to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again, subjecting Him to public disgrace. So as we read this, it, it's a sobering warning, isn't it? It's one of those that you read it and you just, it just wakes you up. It raises all kinds of questions. This might be one of the most uh, problematic passages in the Bible. Not problematic, that it's, but in the, it, uh, we struggle to understand what exactly is he talking about here. And we, uh, there's several positions that I think are, are viable, but each of those positions has a problem attached to it. So it's almost whatever position you pick, you still have a problem that you have to deal with. Is some feel this is hypothetical. Warren Wearsby would fall in this camp where he's, this couldn't actually happen, but he's, he's given a hypothetical situation that might um, just motivate these believers to stay hungry to the Word of God and, and follow hard after Christ. Others feel that this does teach that we can lose our salvation, that a, a true believer could lose their salvation. Others feel this is, uh, you know, what this is revealing is this, the faith that this person had wasn't sincere faith, wasn't a saving faith, and the fact that they're falling away is, is evidence of that. Something that helped me this week, I've always studied this, just dropping into these verses, rather than studying it in the context of chapter 5, 6, and 7, and the whole, what he's, what he's doing. It really helped me, as I lived in it this week, to think about who is he writing to? And what's his main concern? Okay, he's he's like, guys, you're not listening to what I'm saying. You're you're not, you're tuning me out, and you're going to need this. Why? So that you don't drift from Christ. And and who are these people? They're Jews who are being tempted, because if you follow Christ, you're being persecuted. They're being tempted to go back to the old way, Judaism, and go back to the temple, back to all these things. And if they do, it's going to be easy. This is still pre-70 AD, so the temple still exists, and there's still a high priest, and they're still offering sacrifices, and what did he just tell them when they tuned, it out, tuned him out? He said Melchizedek. Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek. What do we know about a Jew? Who, who's, who is their high priest? What, what line did you have to be if you were going to be a high priest? Aaron, right? Moses' brother. God chose Aaron. So you're saying Melchizedek? I don't want to hear that. And it's almost as if he's saying, guys, listen to me. Don't turn from Christ. I'm going to teach you about Melchizedek, but I need you to know that Jesus is our high priest. Follow him with the loyal love. And he lifts this, this thought of, there. and here's the truth that every position has to come back to. There's a moment in a human's life where it is impossible to turn back to Christ if we reject Him repeatedly. Our heart can become so hard that we won't repent. And and this is the nightmare that that, or the warning that He's just like, flee that. And this isn't to create doubt or fear in the hearts of Christians. It's rather to motivate us to go hard after Christ, to stay hungry, to to, uh, learn His Word and then live it out. And so... The uh really I think what this warning calls us to is to ask the question, am I receiving the word of God like good soil? Am I absorbing it? And we see this in the, the next two verses that come. He says, Land that drinks, verse seven, land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whom it was farmed, receives the blessing of God. The land is represents our heart. The rain represents the word of God. And he's saying, guys. Let your heart be like good soil that soaks in the Word of God, produces the crop, and receives the blessing of God. Unlike, verse 8, land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being, cur- being cursed, and in the end it will be burned. What a, what a gift of grace God has given us here. And someone said every warning of God is His grace to us, isn't it? To uh, just wake us up, help us evaluate our hearts, before him. So is it possible for a genuine believer to lose our salvation this is a question I think important to answer, and the short answer is no. Our salvation is we we come to Christ thinking I put my faith in him and I made a decision to follow him, but then as we read scripture, what do we find out? <laughs> Ephesians 2. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. A dead person can't choose to be alive. It needs God to breathe breath, and God is the author of our salvation from our first breath. As he opens our eyes to the beauty of Christ, gives us the faith to believe in him, and then he promises, the work I began in you, Philippians 1, 6, I'm going to carry it through. John 10, 29, he says, Jesus said, Whoever the Father puts in my hand, they're safe there. They're not there. I'm going to keep them. He uh, Romans 8 also speaks into this, as well as 1 John chapter 5, 13. If I know for some some of us we struggle with doubt and lord am i really yours and this is a verse that gives great comfort and assurance of our salvation 1 John 5:13 says i write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of god so that you may know that you have eternal life so our salvation is secure in christ but if we ever come to a moment in our lives where We're no longer hungry for His Word, and we're no longer concerned about living it out. We view His Word as one option among many. It should sound a siren in our soul, and this warning should come to mind that drift is possible. And it should leave us running towards Christ, praying, God, give me a hunger for Your Word. Let Your Word be be what uh, what I long for. Let it be the stuff that I live on, the daily manna that, that just keeps me going. This, this, uh, moves, this warning moves us that way. So was, after that, it's like, okay, preacher, we're ready. <laughs> Whatever you want to say about Melchizedek, our hearts are ready for this. But he says, nope, got one more motivation. And this is the sweet one. And this is where he's been talking about hard, hard conversation. This is where you are, where you should be, uh, what could be. But then he moves into what is and, and what he believes will be in their condi- in their for them for those their um their spiritual walk and it's this sweet one sweet promise verses twelve uh, beginning verse nine and then through twelve he says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, things that have to do with salvation and here's the promise: God is not unjust, he will not." forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized we do not want you to become lazy or to dull of hearing but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised why stay hungry and, and what a promise to, uh, to put wind in our sails to stay hungry so that we might live out the calling God has put on each one of our lives, a unique life mission to follow Him, follow Jesus into a life of love, loving God with our entire being, loving the people around us. And as we do, God promises reward. He says, there's a good day coming. And you have opportunities in this life. The Father is not going to forget one thing. God is not unjust. He will not forget what you have done for Him. The, the ways that you have shown your love to Him as you have helped the people around you. We were laughing this past week that the, uh, the problem with humility is nobody notices. Have you noticed that? I mean, once you start really pursuing humility, you can go like everybody's... No one notices what you're doing. It's horrible. It's almost like you need to hire someone to market your humility. Like, hey man, when you see me being really humble, would you tell everybody? And uh, <laughs> and then that's all pride coming back, right? But here's the comfort, you guys. And this is just seeing an audience of one. The father sees the cup of cold water you give. Moms, as you serve your families at home. And nobody sees that as we serve kids' ministries even today. Rocking babies and stuff that's not going to get a lot of attention, as you help the people around you, fueled by the love of God, supported by His Word that's nourishing you as you're staying hungry, learning and living, eternal reward is being stored up for you. Our eternal security, our eternal salvation is secure. Our rewards are not. There is something eternal to be won or lost, as we live out our lives down here, and he's saying, "Guys, don't be lazy, don't quit, um, carry on. See this good day coming, and live for it. Spend your life in a way that's that's uh, pleasing the Father." The danger is that we would would uh, lose our appetite for His Word and lose our our capacity to live for Him. So now we're saying, "Okay, preacher, we're ready." We're hearing you. Stay hungry to learn and live out God's word. We're ready for Melchizedek. You guys ready? Everybody else there? Tell us about Melchizedek. We want to build this on this foundation. To which he says, nope. Got to come back next week. That's chapter 7. <laughs> because what matters most right now is not what I'm going to tell you about Melchizedek. It's how you answer this question. Am I hungry to learn and to live out? God's Word. Am I hungry? Why does it matter? The only way we grow up to be like Christ, to be telion, to be mature, strong, to reproduce, it's here. It's His Word. Staying hungry. The way that we discern between good and evil, we navigate without getting blown up by a landmine while we're here on earth, it's His Word. Staying hungry. The way that we keep from drifting away from Him is His Word. And the way that we store up eternal reward so that when that day comes, oh my, some glory. It's His Word, right? So He says, stay hungry to learn and to live out His Word. And what I'd like to do is just give you an opportunity to, in your own words, just pray a simple prayer. Lord, would you create a, a hunger in me? For your word, and so I'll, just a moment of silence for you to pray. God would stoke our hunger, and then we'll we'll uh, move. I'll, I'll p- close us in prayer. Lord, Lord, Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word and just where we can meet you in your word and grow in our love for you love for those around us Lord I thank you for the word that you gave us today through Hebrews 5 and 6 that just stokes our hunger to to learn and to keep meeting you in your word and hearing what you have to say and then following you being changed into the image of Christ and Lord, in these moments, our primary prayer is, please don't ever let us become full and, and lose our appetite for knowing you through your word. Lord, we thank you for the assurance that we can come to you in our time of need and that we find the grace that we need. And this morning, that through Christ, that, that your arms are open wide, praise you and we love you. We pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.